I love a good podcast, as you know, and I'm always happy to share resources for parents who are looking for creative, smart content that both entertains and offers enrichment for curious kids everywhere. So I'm happy to let you know about this awesome new show from the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, The Adventurous World of Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. The series explores themes that kids like ours love, like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and more. And episodes transport kids into iconic periods in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England. So cool. New episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a perfect length for those car rides, for meal times, for break times, and bedtimes. What I love about this show is that it's kind of like listening to a book on tape. The story is captivating and includes lots of problems listeners can try to solve. The voice actors are fantastic, and the math concepts are seamlessly weaved into the narrative. It's exactly the kind of show Ash would have loved a few years ago, especially during our homeschool years, because finding that perfect blend of entertaining and educating, it isn't always easy. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. It's always this push-pull every single day of my life, but it's that boundary of like, if I let go of myself completely... I know that that is going to negatively impact your life to my children, to every human that I love and care for. And I won't do that for them because I know they're not going to love it when I'm angry, resentful, miserable, and I'm blaming them for how I feel. So the dying to be good is dying to be good for everyone else. And when my physical body was letting go, I realized it wasn't a conscious choice that I was like, give, 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 like, yes, I just didn't have female role models that were like, honey, you need to make time for your physical body or you are not going to survive this. I'm Debbie Reber and welcome to Tilled Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. Today, I'm happy to be sharing a rich conversation with strategic parenting coach Heather Chauvin about the plight many mothers of neurodivergent kids find themselves in, prioritizing everyone else's needs over their own, and why it's so critical that we get out of this pattern. This is a deeply personal topic for Heather. The way she describes it, by living in survival mode as a parent to her three kids, she was robbing herself of joy, robbing her kids of joy by not being a present parent and robbing her loved ones of fulfilling relationships. And then in 2013, the universe got her attention when Heather was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Going through that unexpected journey pushed Heather to take a deeper stand for change and explore how cultural expectations sabotage our dreams. I wanted to bring Heather on the show for this conversation because I hear from so many mothers who are in various stages of struggle in their parenting lives pouring everything into their kids, running on fumes, sacrificing so much, putting incredible pressure on themselves to do it all and do it well. Yet as much as we love our kids and we want to be their safe place, we can't do that unless we are being that for ourselves first. Through her work, Heather has helped women realize that their needs are just as important and that 10 minutes daily can make a difference if you're open to change. Heather started her career as a social worker helping adults understand children's behavior, and today she's dedicated to helping women courageously and authentically live, work, and parent on their own terms. She's also the author of the book Dying to Be a Good Mother and the host of the popular podcast Emotionally Uncomfortable. During this conversation, we talked about what dying to be a good mother syndrome is and why so many mothers suffer from it, why trusting yourself can be the best ally in parenting and how to approach choosing yourself when you think you don't have the time. And even though this episode is framed for mothers, it's a good listen for anyone who is a caregiver, especially if you've been feeling like your energy is low or frantic, and that that has become the norm. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hey, Heather, welcome to the podcast. 
Hello, Debbie. I'm excited to have this conversation. I am too. I know this is going to be one of those conversations that I hope listeners can just kind of lean into. And before I hit record, I'm like, I really want people to feel like they're just hanging out with us having a coffee because this is going to be a real conversation. We're going to be focusing on motherhood, which we don't really do a lot on this show. I tend to talk about parenting in general. I've done a couple of mom specific episodes. And I've done maybe two dad-specific episodes. So I'm just putting that out there now for listeners. We're going to be talking about motherhood, although I think everyone's going to benefit from this conversation. Now that I'm done with that initial rambling, tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now, like the way that you're showing up in the world today. And I know that it's related to your personal why and what you've been through. So as much as you want to share and helping us really understand who you are. Yeah. So it's interesting because I got into this work for my children. And they were my why. They're the ones I have three boys. They're currently 18. They always change their um, ages and then I get all messed up. So 18, 13 and 11, they have birthdays and then it changes it up. But anywho, motherhood really cracked me open. It was the thing that got me to realize one, I didn't want to become a statistic. I was 18 when I became a mother And two, I just never wanted my son to feel the way I felt as a child, like emotionally. And that was kind of the beginning of the journey of self-discovery, advocacy, all the things. So fast forward, I'm doing research, I'm reading the books, I'm doing all the things, we're getting the calls from school. And you just slowly, slowly, slowly start to piece things together. My boys have very, you know, three very different brains, different learning styles, and I was a social worker and I worked primarily with families. And what I noticed was the labels that were labeling, you know, children's behavior, but nobody was actually like stepping back and like saying, if we're looking at behavior as a language, what is it saying to us rather than projecting this judgment onto child's behavior or a human behavior in general? And then what I noticed I was like, oh, this is like something that I'm onto. Like people don't get it for some reason. Left my job, started podcasting, started doing all the things and been coaching for 10 years. Well, 10 plus years, but it was actually 10 years ago when I was diagnosed with a stage four cancer. That was an interesting shift in my conversation because I was so focused on parent-child because that's what they were telling me they wanted help with, which is like, behavior, behavior, behavior. And I'm like, okay, let's focus on the child. Let's focus on the child. Like they're the ones who need help. This is what we're saying is happening. And then the parent would say to me, or the, I primarily work with mothers would say to me, I don't have time. I don't have energy. My career is falling apart. My marriage is falling apart. My mental health is deteriorating. And I'm like, okay, but come back, come back. After my diagnosis, I was like, ladies, we need to stop pretending that our needs don't matter. And for the last decade, it's been this co-creation with maybe parenting is the trigger for you, but really your actual challenge is like you want to feel successful in your parenting. Like you actually want to feel present and like you're you're doing a good job, but your other aspects of your life are just you know sucking the life out of you. So how can you manage all of this energy. And it's not about your to-do list. It's really about like your mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual energy. But let's just do it in an incredibly sustainable way where what is mine? What is someone else's? What does my child actually need? Where do boundaries start? What's my identity? Like all these things come up. So really helping women feel alive and aligned so that we can see what is ours and what's our children's and how can we lead and guide them. And then watching women do this in their careers as well, whether it's corporate or business settings where they're actually translating what they're doing at home and they're doing it in their work. They're doing it with profit. They're doing it with like receiving. They're doing it with not asking for what they want when they're about to negotiate a deal. So really infusing that confidence and taking back control of how they want to feel. Thank you for sharing all of that. I'm thinking about 18, 13, 11 sounds like a very real experience to me. 
there's one thing when our kids are littles, right? And then there's another thing when they're individuating and they're going through so much and all your kids, as you said, are wired in their own unique ways. I'm wondering even like in this current season of life, where is your growth happening? Because you've been on such a journey for the past 10 years, a journey that you may not have initially wanted to be on, but I know that it has profoundly changed you. But I'm just curious because I've got a a young adult now and what I'm working on these days is very different than what I was working on 10 years ago. So a few years ago, and this was like, I don't really think it was COVID. It may have been mid-COVID. I don't know. But I couldn't even put words to it. But it felt like maybe this story or illusion of like, as they get older, it's going to get easier. That's what we're taught culturally. And then it did not feel like that. But it was like this internal... I just kept thinking to myself, wow, I am so grateful that I've been doing this work for the last 10 years because I could feel that separation. But like, okay, I have a sense of identity, but this is next level. Like this is next level, especially like sharpening the edges of emotional boundaries and really feeling in control of myself. When I say control, that's not really a feeling, but like really taking ownership for how I want to feel and like, what is this messy middle? What are these big emotions? Is it is it grief? Like, what is this? And it felt interesting because I noticed the parallels in my work of course, and watching him go into teen adulthood and just the duality of the story of like, you should be versus like reality and learning to accept reality. And it has forced me to get this sense of deep, deep, deep self-trust. I'm always thinking, and this is what I teach and I talk about all the time is how do you want to feel? How do you want to feel? And it's not about like doing the things to allow yourself to feel good all the time because, you know, we can't spiritually bypass our feelings all the time. It's not, you may be in a season where it just doesn't feel good, but you're in this like mud and you're kind of sifting through the mud to be like, what's in here? What are the gems in here? And that's what it felt like. Not even like, okay, yes, I knew how I wanted to feel and I had to reach for it every day. Like the joy of like, I don't want to get out of bed today, but I'm going to, and I'm going to get some sunlight in my eyes, or I'm going to drink some water, knowing that like, those are little boxes that are going to get me closer to that feeling, but also like sit with this emotional discomfort. What is this? And everywhere that I turned, I would notice like I'm not living in a state of survival anymore, physically, mentally, emotionally, financially. And yet I felt like I was going right back to when I was diagnosed, like making really, really what I call emotionally uncomfortable decisions. They weren't hard, but just having to have some really emotionally uncomfortable conversations with people like, hey, you know, this partnership isn't working anymore, like meaning like in work or friendships, like this isn't working. There's a disconnect here. I could just feel this like ripping of an identity, if that makes sense, but getting super, super clear with myself of like, what do I want kind of my next year of life to look like my next phase of what this is getting really quiet with myself. Like, what are those whispers? What do I want to talk about in my work? So almost like a I don't know. Does this make sense to you? Like a little metamorphosis of like, but like the whispers where you can't even put words to it. You just know you're kind of in the wave and you kind of need to surrender to it, but you still kind of need to control because you can't, you got responsibilities. (laughs) Yeah, it makes total sense. A lot of it resonates with what I feel like I've been going through as well. And it makes me wonder, is it this time of life? Is it when our kids reach a certain age? I wrote down clarity right before you said getting really clear. Like it seems like it's almost like a filing down or honing in on what really matters and being able to trust that. You mentioned the word trust. Can you talk more about that self-trust? Are you talking about like trust in your body, trusting in your intuition? Yeah, just go a little deeper with that. Like all of it. So when I was diagnosed, I remember 
I had nine years previous to that of, I'm going to call it personal development. Really, my in was like conscious parenting, right? Diving into that self-reflection. So I'm like, okay, there's momentum happening here. So when something happened to me, I could stop and not just be like, this is the big awakening. And now I'm going to read all the books and do all the things. I'm like, what? am I being taught? What am I being shown right now? And I remember everything kind of like going into slow motion. And fast forward, there was a lot of like testing. So especially in business, but also in raising a teenager, like there was a lot of testing and what felt like throwing noodles at the wall. And I'd be like, okay, we move three steps here. Okay, now we're going over here. Okay, like navigating the educational system. And I'm like, okay, hey, what is going on? This is exhausting. So then always coming back to self because when I feel out of control like that and I'm overwhelmed or things aren't working, the old me 10 plus years ago would have just kept at it and then I would have burnt out because you know, people are like, you never stop. You're persistent. I'm like, I totally get that. But now when I'm incredibly overwhelmed, I'm like, I communicate, I'm overwhelmed. This isn't happening. And immediately I put up boundaries and I put up boundaries and I start getting, do whatever I need to do to get back to center, even if it takes me a week or two. So if someone's trying to push me to do something and I'm like, Hey, the more you push, just know the more I'm going to shut down. And I will communicate that. And I will say, like, you're not going to get me to do these things. My tasks aren't going to get done. Like, I need to come back to center because I know if I'm operating at that place, no one is benefiting from that because that energy is frantic. So my energy management, that's the skill that I teach people. Like, I know that. Of course, you got to practice what you preach. But coming back when I'm like, I keep thinking about you know, maybe we need to try this. Maybe we need to let go of this. Maybe we need to go over here personally and professionally. And then I'm communicating this to people around me because I'm thinking about it. And they're looking at me like, yeah, do it. Or they don't have an opinion. And then I'm on borderline of like, am I just relentless? Like, is this me? Like the pursuit of solving a problem? So then I have to test something that I don't know if it's going to work, like pulling my son out of school completely and being like, you know what? My goal is to keep you alive. We're going to get you credits, but I am the only person who believes this should be done at this exact moment. And I need to deeply trust that because in my mind, I can see what is going to happen if I don't do that or pulling out from something and my whole team is on board with it. And I'm like, guys, it's not working. We need to pivot. But knowing when to pivot versus when you're trying to blow things up because you're bored or you're sabotaging. And I started asking myself, I always notice I don't pick a theme at the beginning of the year. It usually reveals itself. And this year was like, do less better. But I've always asked myself, so yes, there's this simplicity and declutter of like, what's working, what's not working, let's let go of what's not working, right? Do do you like these clothes? Let them go. Like literally going through the whole house. If I haven't touched this in six months, it's gone, like a deep, deep, deep decluttering. But That said, I also said to myself, if I deeply trusted myself, how would I show up? How would I show up in the middle of this conversation that I need to advocate for my child? How would I show up when I'm going into this business conversation? How would I show up when, you know, I really want to do something and my husband, you know, it takes him like a six month lead time to do something. And I'm like, okay, but I How can we co-create this? Like, I really don't want to let this go. Or I could see that along the way, I told myself, I'm not good at this. I'm not confident in this. I'm not an expert. And I was slowly shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. I've put other people in place to make those decisions. And that wasn't working either. So I had to get rid of those placeholders. And I had to look deep within and go, you know what? Maybe you don't know who you think you are, or you don't know if you're capable of, but act as if you deeply trust yourself. What questions are you going to ask? Hey, I'm curious. My gut is telling me this. How are you going to solve that problem? And just keep asking and asking and asking. And when people say, I don't know, I don't know, they're making 
Yeah. And you've got to deeply, deeply trust. It's not always black or white, but it's been profound and kind of mind blowing. The stories, you know, we all tell ourselves. And then when we kind of prove them wrong, where it's an identity crisis. So interesting. Thank you. That was beautiful to hear about. And you really were able to unpack that for us in a way that I relate to it makes so much sense. And I also know it's not like flipping a switch to get to that place. So I want to explore some of the concepts of this energy management and also what you call dying to be a good mother syndrome. And we'll do that right after a quick break. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. You have a book, which we'll talk about as well, called Dying to Be a Good Mother. And you talk about dying to be a good mother syndrome. As you're talking, I'm thinking, what is getting in the way? Like, what is it that prevents women mothers from being able to live in this zone of personal well-being and trust, self-trust? So could you explain what you mean by dying to be a good mother syndrome and why so many mothers are living in that space? I'll give you an example first, but I see this every single day when a woman says, I need you in my life, but I can't afford it. And I truly believe in that statement, I can't afford it. But what I have come to realize, because that is actual fact and truth for a lot of people, but what I often see is they're like, I just put out $10,000 for my child's sports or blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Okay, but if you were gifted that exact same amount of money today, where would you invest it? And nine out of 10 times, what I hear is in somebody else, but not myself. And the reality is 
at the core, 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 we can talk about how we grew up in our childhood until you know we're blue in the face. But it comes down to worthiness and seeing your own value as a person and a human being. And knowing that even if you are taking care of your children, and for whatever reason, you become the primary parent or most of the caregiving role, and therefore your career is you're not focused on that or whatever. And you're like, I'm not making money, therefore I'm not valuable. Or I'm making money, but I need to give it away. Culturally, our beliefs around value are so misaligned that we don't think we are valuable. And we can go into history of women and all the things. But it's fascinating to me to realize that the second you take the mother or the nurturer out of the, the home or the ecosystem, everything falls apart. And yet we don't see our own value. So the dying to be a good mother was kind of going back to what I was noticing where it's like, oh, you told me the child is the one struggling. So let's focus there. We focus. And then the energy that's coming towards me is, but I am this, I am this, I am this, I am this. And watching how we are projecting our own insecurities onto everybody else. But the dying part is how we are dying mentally physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and financially, and all the ways to be good for everybody else. And when we actually begin to implement a boundary, and I don't mean like, you know, not talking to anybody ever again. Example, I got a text today from my son that said, hey, can you send me some money for food? Or can you like make me food or do whatever? And I'm back to back to back to back today. Mind you, you know, we had this conversation last night. Don't forget food. You're going to get hungry. His lack of preparation is not my emergency, regardless of how his brain is wired. We have everything in place doing all the things. Where do natural consequences happen? How much do I need to give, give, give where it's taking away like a perfect example? And we do this every day because that's our love language. I want to give, I want to give, I want to give. And then the second you stop and go, what parts of you are dying? You get the funniness of like, oh yeah, I feel like isn't that the way it's supposed to be? And it's like, if we just start sipping a little bit into ourselves, like the tiniest bit, I always talk about like the 10 minute habit. Like what have you let go of that brought you joy? That's energy, right? You're just putting a little more into what you want and how you want to feel. Maybe you loved art and you're like, oh my gosh, I've given that up. Maybe it's 10 minutes a day. Maybe it's like just the tiniest little thing that you are giving yourself to come back to life, to nurture yourself back to life. And it's always this push-pull every single day of my life. But it's that boundary of like, if I let go of myself completely, I know that that is going to negatively impact your life to my children, to every human that I love and care for. And I won't do that for them because I know they're not going to love it when I'm angry, resentful, miserable, and I'm blaming them for how I feel. So the dying to be good is dying to be good for everyone else. And when my physical body was letting go, I realized it wasn't a conscious choice that I was like, give, 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 like, yes. I just didn't have female role models that were like, Honey, you need to make time for your physical body or you are not going to survive this. Never once did I have a woman around me say that. Yeah, I mean, what you shared is so important. And the voice I'm hearing in my head is you talked about I don't have the money as that being a very valid reason for a lot of people for not prioritizing or making a choice for therapy or coaching or whatever that is. But I know that there are so many people listening to this who feel and believe that, yes, and what we're going through is so extreme right now. I do not have any option but to put everything into my kid now, everything into managing this crisis, what's happening at school. Everything feels like an emergency. And so I'd love if you could talk a little bit more about that piece and speak to those parents who feel that, yes, and... And, and aren't really allowing themselves to consider this. Okay, so I am known for telling you what you need to hear, not always what you want to hear. And I will take a stand for people. And sometimes, you know, I get a lot of pushback, but I will take a stand for 
what I know you are capable of. And I was that woman where I throw it all in for the people that I love. And I was addicted to chaos. My actual identity was wrapped around rescuing other people. And it started when I grew up in chaos and when I had to rescue people. And so we look back and go, this is all I've known. I love chaos. I love managing chaos. And then you think like your brain is designed to keep you comfortable and familiar. So you're like, this is all I know. Since my child was born, we have had struggles. Or since my child entered my life, we have had struggles. Or it's been years and we've been challenged with this. Then we just rinse and repeat because it's familiar and what we know. But we never stop and go, how do I want to feel? What is going to happen if I keep at this for another decade? Like literally let your brain go there. What's going to happen financially, physically, emotionally, relationally, if you keep at doing what you're doing? There were many times in my life, like breaking those patterns, like the actual identity of, example, yelling. I used to be a yeller, like yelling constantly in the house. I do this, do this, do this, do this, mainly when the kids were younger. When I got diagnosed, I couldn't yell anymore. I didn't have the energy. And that was my identity is like, They will only listen to me if I raise my voice. I hear this all the time. They will only listen to me if I raise my voice. No, you've taught them that you will yell and that's when they will start listening. So I physically was like, I am done, like mentally checked the box. I will not yell again. And when I say not yell again, it's like I'm giving it up. Like you're giving up a bad habit, an addiction. And I thought, When I want to yell, I'm going to try to do the opposite and I'll just get really quiet and I'll be like, I'm not going to repeat myself. And then I could feel the volcano and then I go and it took a while and I watched my children be like, she's not yelling. What's going on with her? Now I have taught them that if I'm yelling, they physically say this to me, Debbie, are you okay? Like, what's going on? I'm really stressed. They're like, okay. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, let's talk about this later. I'm going to go for a walk. No, like, don't call me out. Like, none of that. So I get it. You're all in on your kid. Totally get it. I mean, that's great. And you're probably getting a lot of pats on the back for it. I did too when I was 18. Everyone's like, good job, honey. And on the inside, I was literally like, not this. There's no way I can do this for the rest of my life. Like, how do people survive like this? I must be too sensitive. I cannot. My soul is leaving my body. And this was like a decade before I was diagnosed. And I was trying, it was like, I was treading water, this all or nothing attitude. You're either on a couch or you're running a marathon on the weekend. And I have watched this in my own brain in the last two to three years, played this consistency game, whether it's with my nutrition, physically moving my body, training for a race. I mean, I've trained for marathons and I watch, I'm like, my intention for this training is to be consistent. And I watch, I'm like, this is so boring. This is so boring. It's not going to make an impact. And then you do this all or nothing, this whiplash. We're so used to it. I'm either all in or I'm all out. And we do that with our children too. I'm either going to be all in and then you're going to be all in. Guess what? You're going to burn out. You're going to be exhausted. And then you're going to have to be all out because then you're going to have to recover. So I tell people who are all in all the time, if you actually operated at a 70% lower gear consistently, your all in effort is the average person's like 200%. And most of the people that I attract, you know, they're like, okay, I'm willing to do the work. I want to get out of this phase. And I'm like, but part of the actual issue is you are an overachiever and an overfunctioner. And because you've been in this stress cycle, you have to like back off a little bit. And all I need from you is 10 minutes a day. And they're like, 10 minutes a day is not going to make an impact. I'm like, I will give you your money back if you are consistent for 30 or 60 days, 10 minutes a day, 30 days later, they're like, oh my God, I'm actually feeling a shift. And I'm like, yeah, I know. So it's just hard to believe when you've been responsible for so much that you can do less better and get a better ROI. And also the last thing I want to say about this is when you are all in throwing everything at your children, you are actually taking away 
from your child's experience. And when I say that, that can be incredibly triggering because you now have a belief that your child is incapable of doing something. You don't want to allow them to feel their own feelings. You don't want to allow them to learn to advocate for themselves. But if you let them go a little bit, you're going to see the confidence that they're going to gain. And I've had that as your kids get older and they start using their voice more. Mom, back off. I've got this. I need to learn this on my own. And the truth is, I don't want them to because then I have to feel my feelings and they might get hurt, right? The what ifs start to come in, but then it's my responsibility to heal what comes up for me. If I'm like, oh, it's uncomfortable. Well, whose feelings are those? Whose guilt is that? Whose anger is that? Whose insecurity is that? That's mine. That's not my child. So we overgive, especially when they're little, when you're being told that you have to be your child's prefrontal cortex, blah, blah, blah executive functioning. And I'm like, great, when does that stop? Because when it stops, then what? It's fascinating to pivot from one identity to the other. It's not comfortable, but you have to stop and say, is this sustainable for me? And give yourself permission to say like, it's not, and that's okay. And I need a little space to figure out who I am. So good. Listeners, I just to say that behind Heather's, we're on video, there's like a neon sign that says emotionally uncomfortable. So I really love that. It just really drives this point home. There's a few other things I want to get into, including energy management, how you actually help parents lean into doing this pivot or giving themselves permission. And we'll do that after a quick break. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell?, laughing in the face of motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the things I was thinking about is that part of this must be women giving themselves permission because there's a lot of outside noise that can really be influencing us and also giving ourselves permission to feel the feelings. I'm always moving because I don't like to slow down and stop to feel the feelings. So I'm very familiar with that. How do you help mothers specifically choose themselves? come to terms with this and not just realize that it's so important for their own well-being, but the well-being of their whole family. But then how do you help them take those first steps? Well, I think you said it first, before anyone can support you in any area of your life, you have to be willing to give yourself permission to just be open to change. I see it a lot, especially in my work, somebody will come in and they're like, I really want change. And then their stuff comes up right away. And I think there's a lot of reassurance, like you're going to have an emotional poop. It's going to come up and out. It's a, a quick detox. Let's just call it that where you're like, okay, I'm ready. And then the perfectionism, the insecurities, all of that. 
a good visual. I mean, I can give you more strategy of that, but a good visual, and I usually always have like mugs around me, is you have a cup and you want to pour more joy and ease and presence in your cup. You're trying to pour it in. You can't because this cup is full. What is this cup full with? It might be guilt. It might be overwhelm. It might be resentment. It might be all the things. But if you're trying to pour you know, the goodness in that you want to feel, which is, I'm going to call it the 10 minute habit a day, like a little sprinkle every single day, you have to realize before your cup yourself is going to be full with that. It's kind of got to clear out what's in there first. So that stuff's going to come up and out. But if we're just walking around with our cup, and we're doing our best not to trigger it, like, keep going, keep going, stay busy, stay busy, don't feel the feelings, then it doesn't, it's not going to move. It's the second you choose something different comes up and out. It's just like decluttering your closet. My favorite journal prompt is wouldn't it be nice if I've been using it forever. I don't even think I can take credit for it. I think it was probably like one of my first mentors that told me about it, but it's been using it for so long. But I use it all the time. I'm like, I'll be angry about something. And I'm like, it could be one situation or relationship, work, kids, whatever. And I'm like, I'll, I'll just use that journal prompt for that specific situation. The reason why I use it is it's, wouldn't it be nice if... I'm not asking you what you want. That can be an overwhelming question. I'm not asking you what you don't want. I'm like magic wand. Like you know what your desires are. Wouldn't it be nice if something as simple as someone could make me dinner? Wouldn't it be nice if someone could bring me a glass of water or make me a cup of coffee? Wouldn't it be nice if I didn't have to work on Fridays? Wouldn't it be nice if somebody came in my house, knocked on the door and was like, hey, let me just take all of this over for the next two months. And you you can be here to watch me, but like, I got you. And you didn't have to like bug them. They came in the same way as you. Like put it all down there. I have done this exercise at some pretty interesting retreats with different types of parent groups. And the ones with children who they have to advocate for, like the othered in society. Oh boy. I had one of the main hosts. She's like, Heather, I cannot even, I cannot do this journal prompt. That is too much for me to unpack. Because if I write something on there that I know is not going to come true, that's a lot to face. And what I'm trying to say with this journal prompt is if it's too painful, or you're looking at the list and you're so overwhelmed because this is these are the desires that are inside of you. They are for you. They want to come out and come to life. Just start small. Just and know that the resistance around that or the big feelings like I get excited about it now. I'm like, "Ooh, there's something there." I used to run away from resistance before and now I'm like I run towards it because I understand the game. That's what cancer taught me. I wanted to run away from my biggest fear. And then when I had no other option and I had to, I was backed into a corner, I had to look at it every day. You're going to die. You're going to die. And that was actually something that could have come true. And the truth was, I mean, now my relationship to death is very different, but the truth was I did need to die, but it was the identity piece, not the physical body. And so after you get the wouldn't it be nice list, if you give yourself permission to write something out, I want you to look at the common feeling. It's probably going to say ease, patience, free, light, abundant, joyful, whatever it says. And it could make it could be words that like no one else understands. It's it's your list. It's not going to say I want to be resentful. I want like you're going to be like what is the word? I want to feel supported, right? I don't, I want to feel disconnected. I want to feel resentful. Like you're not going to say those things. Once you have the words that you are after, mine back then was alive. Now, sometimes it's strong, adventurous. Like I'll be having a week and I'm like, I'm, I'm there's something I'm missing. And I'm like, I want an adventure. It could be something as simple as, okay, I don't have time today. I don't have time tomorrow. I'm going to physically put this on my calendar for Sunday. Two hours on Sunday, I'm going to get in the car and I'm just going to go walk in the conservation area. That's my adventure. Or I'm going to drive across town and go sit at a cafe that I didn't even know existed. And what is it inside of you that's craving your energy and attention? 
These are small ways that we start taking back how we want to feel, valuing ourselves and our needs. Once you start filling yourself up, of course, there's ways to do this. You're going to need accountability. You're going to, your poop's going to come up. But once you start doing this stuff, you come back to life. And then when your child comes to you and you, they have like the big feelings, you can hold it. Then when they come to you and there's big situations, you have big meetings and you're like, wow, there's a lot in that room. You can hold it. And that's the point. And so I started doing this work because I didn't want to die. And then I realized that that was actually the secret I was searching for. How can I be present so that I can hold this for my kids? And the bigger they get, you know, there's some big life stuff that comes out. And, you know, I'm like, our issues are no longer sleep deprivation. I mean, sleep deprivation, but for different reasons, either the ruminating in your own mind or you're wondering where your kid is because they didn't come home at curfew or whatever. And there's bigger and bigger, bigger stuff. So how do we emotionally hold that? The last thing I want to say about this, because as you know, Debbie, I could talk about this forever, is I would not be the person I am today without the children that I am raising, regardless of how your children came to you. I believe children trigger the crap out of us to shake us up. It's like our cups, right? Like they're just triggering the cup to shake it all up. And it's our job to look at it and go, okay, that's the next thing I'm going to work on. That's the next thing. And every season, every developmental phase, every conversation, I'm like, if I don't accept that parenting is personal growth on steroids, and this is the actual game of the relationship that it is going to make me evolve and grow as a person. If I just choose not to do this work, I am going to become angry, resentful, and miserable. And the more time I spend in this body, on this earth, like I'm not going to be a happy camper by the end. So I might as well just accept that this is the game and I am constantly going to grow if I choose. It's just so good, everything you're sharing. I'm like, I don't even have anything to add because you said it so beautifully and I I feel the same. So thank you for all of that. It's just so important that we hear that and we really think about this acceptance. And this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. We are right here, right now, raising these humans. So we can be all in and hold on for the ride. And it's an incredible, crazy, beautiful, messy ride. You wrote a book called Dying to Be a Good Mother, How I Dropped the Guilt and Took Control of My Parenting and My Life. First of all, it's your story. It's beautifully written. It's personal. You kind of share your whole evolution with us. And it came out in 2021, I think. Is that right? I bet you could probably write a whole new like section of the book at this point. But when you put it out into the world, how are you hoping it would really support women? Or what do you want them to feel and experience and shift as they're reading your book? I've been asked this question a lot and I feel like my, based on the feedback and what I've heard people say is I just want them to feel hope. And when you feel just trapped and there's no other way, you lose hope. And when you lose hope, you, you start to give up. And a lot of times people are like, thank you. Like, I do know that there is another way to be whether they choose to do it or not, but hope can literally change the world. I just want you to know you're not alone. All of our children are going to talk about us in therapy. That is okay. That is part of the human experience. And as long as you're saying to yourself, you know what, like I was not perfect today, but I just want my children to know that they're loved and safe and you start to take accountability, a little bit accountability for your feelings and you're committed to the process. Like I think about my own parents and I'm like, what do I mostly desire from them? And it's like, just to say, I'm sorry. And how do you think I could have did better? Like I'm listening. So it's actually not hard to grow, you just have to be open to get feedback. But reading the book, you will, I just want you to feel hopeful. It's beautiful. Thank you. There's a lot of ways that our listeners can connect with you and engage with the just wonderful work that you're doing in the world. So what's the best place for people to find you? 
Yeah. So the main podcast is Emotionally Uncomfortable. You can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you go to my website, Heather Chauvin, C-H-A-U-V-I-N.com, and I think it's forward slash free gifts. There's a whole bunch of links there. We have a quiz where to focus your energy and attention first. We also have two private podcasts. One is directly around parenting, and then one is about attracting more profit in your business. Everything's connected, which is interesting. But yeah, just go to my website. Lots of resources. Awesome. And listeners, as always, I will have an extensive show notes page and you'll get all the links to where to connect with Heather and other stuff that came up in our conversation today. I'll include that as well. Heather, any last, and you shared so much, but was there something that you're like, oh, but I really wanted to say this or that you would want to leave listeners with? I always like to say, we're always searching, searching outside of ourselves for what is right or the best way to do something. And I would just challenge you to say, how would I act if I deeply trusted myself and then take action, have the courage to take action on that and see how it works. Because you may surprise yourself that it's a lot easier than we think it is. Awesome. Beautiful. Thank you. I'm just really grateful. Everything you shared today, the work that you do in the world, the way that you show up. And I think this is just such a supportive and hopeful conversation. So thank you. Thank you, Debbie. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. If you want to learn more about today's guest and the resources we talked about, you can always go to the extensive show notes page on tiltparenting.com. There you'll find key takeaways, links to all the resources that were discussed, and even a full transcript of our conversation. Just go to tiltparenting.com slash podcast and select this episode. The Tilt Parenting Podcast is hosted by me, Debbie Reber, author of the book Differently Wired and the founder of Tilt Parenting. And it was edited by my wonderful producer, Andrea Curtis Amasquita. If you want to support this show, please consider joining my Patreon campaign and making a small monthly contribution. Just go to patreon.com slash tiltparenting to learn more. If you want to follow Tilt on social media, go to at Tilt Parenting on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, please take a minute to leave a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. That helps the show stay visible so others can easily find it. Thanks so much. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well, and take good care. And for more information about any of the parenting resources Tilt offers, visit TiltParenting.com. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.